Okay, yeah. glory to God. I don't want to take off if everyone's not ready. Um, you might gonna have your hands full I because I can go all over the place. I got it right here. And I start off quiet and calm, and then I could end up um, getting loud by the time we take uh, the death that's in this world and show everybody how it's been nailed to the cross. Um, but my name is Greg Henry. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I uh, I was saved at the age of three years old, filled with the Holy Spirit at the age of three. My mother was ritualistically abused by uh, say, satanic um, priests and people in the satanic church. They uh, abused and, and tortured her as a young girl. They were grooming her to be a priestess so that they could take her babies and sacrifice them. I'm one of the babies. Um, wow. Here I am, not having been sacrificed. Wow. Um, but anyway, my mom grew up very tortured, very tormented. She eventually got away from the people that were doing that to her um, at the age of 8 or 9 or 10. Um, she spent a lifetime being uh, tormented and demonized and all those kinds of things. Um, and when I was about one years old, she had a radical salvation experience where she was just delivered of everything. Um, instantaneously like that she heard that Jesus died on the cross to remove her sin and boom she she ended up also getting one of the the people that abused her saved on their deathbed one of the Satanists she went and got that guy saved but anyway as a young boy this happened when I was about one years old when she had the radical salvation experience and as a young boy my mom was always walking around the house as you can imagine having that kind of an experience praise the Lord Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I'm a little boy. My first words were mama and then pray the Lord. Pray the Lord. Pray the Lord. Um, so I got filled with the Holy Spirit, saved at three years old, walking around. Pray the Lord. Pray the Lord. Um, my mom wrote this children's church program called the Life in the Spirit Seminar. Um, she got all the children in the neighborhood uh, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. We would sit around and uh, just fellowship with God and the Holy Spirit. And so it seemed like everything was clear sailing for me. Um, but around 10 years old, I had a traumatic experience in my life, and the devil convinced me that God wasn't with me, and that I was alone in the world. And the whole, my whole life, I thought God was with me. And all of a sudden, I was confronted with the idea that He wasn't with me, and He had never been with me, and it was always just me. And that I was always just alone doing everything by myself. That destroyed my life as a 10-year-old. And as a 10-year-old, I had no idea how to process uh, the pain I felt from that. So I got on to drugs. And um, as a young guy, became like a drug addict. At like the age of like 11 years old, became a, a drug addict. And by the time I was 12 years old, I, had, I was overdosing on drugs at the school Christmas dance. I overdosed at the school Christmas dance as a 12-year-old boy. And um, I ended up in the hospital, and I ended up dying in the hospital nine different times that night. I had taken so many drugs, and they had had so much chance to run through my body that they weren't able to get it out of me. So they shocked me back to life from the first flat line. They gave my dad a buzzer, and they told my dad, this is the emergency room. We got lots of people coming in that need help. 
we're sorry for your son, but he's a drug addict. Maybe he need to die anyway, right? So they gave him the buzzer. They said, you sit with the buzzer, and every time he flatlines, you hit the buzzer. And we'll come back in, and we'll shock him back. And so nine different times that night, they come back in and shocked me back to life. Okay? Now, I started learning something about the love of God and the way God will be with sinners that night. Because when I finally opened my eyes, and they had me strapped down to the bed and in a straitjacket, because they didn't know if I was trying to commit suicide or not. I wasn't. I was just trying to numb my pain from the lie that God had abandoned me. And um, I woke up, and I looked over, and you guys have to forgive me if I get upset, because I still feel so bad that I did this. And I don't feel bad in God's eyes, but I feel bad for what I said to my dad because of everything he's meant to me. But I woke up from being, you know, shocked back to life all those times, and there's my dad sitting there weeping, having sat through all that. And my dad is a nice, kind man. He never did anything to me. They, they loved me my whole life perfectly. They were like God and the way God loved on Adam, right? God was the perfect father, and Adam still did what he did. And so parents, sometimes you can be hard on yourself. If any of you had kids that have walked out of the way or ended up walking out of the way, listen, don't let the serpent convince you and come point at you and accuse you. The world is coming to everyone's house, and the world is coming to try to nail everyone to a cross, okay? And that's what's happened. Don't let the serpent convince you to pick up the burden of what's happened, right? And if you feel that way, and you feel that your child's life has been harmed by something that you've done, just go ahead today and commit their life into the hands of God. Because God is the only one that could save them from the calamity in this world. Your perfect parenting can't save them. I'm sorry. Amen. My father was as perfect of a parent as they could be, and he couldn't save me. And when I saw him sitting there, and I look over and I see him crying and weeping because I'm the son of his dreams. He's dreamt his whole life about me and watching me grow, and watching everything we could do, and watching the way we could share life together. He grew watching me, and then to see the son of his dreams laying in the bed dead. And I looked over at him, and you'd think that I would say I'm sorry. You'd think that I would say thank you for loving me. I looked over at him, and you guys have to forgive my language, but you're all adults, and so I'm just going to say what I said to him. What the hell is your problem? And it digressed from there. And you know, my dad just loved me anyway. And he didn't get angry. Which was kind of surprising to me. And that's when I started to get a revelation of the love of God. And God was teaching me something through my dad. Um, the, I was saved during all this. I just didn't know how to cope with the pain of how the world came and nailed me to the cross. Um... It didn't get better for me for a little while. Um, eventually, I came out of the darkness, connected back with God, and came into, I'm going to commit my life to God. How many of you have, have had that experience? I'm going to commit my life to God. Hallelujah. Right? Because you see how good God has been. And you think, the least I can do is commit my life to God. The problem is, I didn't realize He had committed His life to me. Amen. You see what I'm saying? And I didn't realize that he didn't need my life, but I needed his life. And if I was actually going to do anything to put God on display in the world for people to see, I was going to need his life. He wasn't going to need my life. 
And so I, it sounded good to me. Let me commit my life to God. And I'm a, a highly disciplined guy with lots of energy and lots of passion. And you guys will realize that by the end of tonight. And so I went after committing my life to God with everything I had in my whole being. And my idea of committing my life to God was that I'm going to be perfect. And I'm going to do everything perfect. Everything perfect the way God would want me to do. I'm going to give perfectly. I'm going to read perfectly. I'm going to pray perfectly. I'm going to go to all the meetings perfectly. I'm going to pray perfectly. I'm going to be perfect to people and kind to people perfectly. And I did all that for a long time. I worked the program. What you're trying to do is you're trying to work God. That's what I realized. And then what I also realized, if you want to look at that in its proper perspective, if you think you can work God, or if you think that you can work for the blessing, just ask yourself, can my works conquer death in the flesh? Can my works keep me from the grave or bring me out of the grave and clothe me in immortality? And it's a real clear no. And if you think your works can do that, you're going to be living by the sweat of your brow and you're going to be stressed out. Right? And so I was stressed out. Doing everything right, though, because I got some ability. Right? Like Paul would say, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. According to the law, I was blameless. Right? I had gotten it right. And I was in Colorado, and I was training for the Olympics. Because the Olympics were going to be the platform from where my ministry could take off. That's where my value could be seen. And the glory of God could be revealed in me. That's what I thought, at least. And so I'm running myself into the ground, training myself into the ground in the mountains in Colorado. And I'm running like 160 miles a week. And I'm running so many miles that I'm throwing up at the end of my trainings and coughing up blood sometimes. But it's for the glory of God, don't you know? Actually, it was for the vain glory, is what I realized after. I wanted to be exalted by my own strength and my own works. Not just with God, but in the world. And I thought, look at this great ability I have. Look at the beauty of what I can do. Let me use that beauty. Let me use that ability and I can exalt myself. And then the people can see the glory. And it was nothing but vain glory. Well, through the course of that, I got a stress fracture in my foot. I don't know if you guys know what a stress fracture is. But it's not like a normal fracture. Well, listen, I was a faith guy. And I didn't have the right idea about faith then. So I'm going to work my faith. I didn't realize faith works you. I didn't realize that it's not about faith in God. It's about having the faith of God. It's not about you trying to work your faith. It's about God has given you as a gift His faith. And now you sit and you have fellowship with His faith, not your own faith. So I was trying to work my faith. I was trying to prove that I had faith. So I kept running on my stress fracture. 160 miles a week. There's no stopping me, don't you know? <laughs> and so the stress fracture splintered splintered he couldn't run no more there's no more running going to happen now who do you think I blame when I couldn't run no more and I had done all that I had done to stand who do you think I scapegoated for that God. God. <laughs> That's when the revelation of my, my earthly father paid dividends and how I saw how my heavenly father responded to how I acted towards him. 
because I acted towards him very similarly to the way I acted towards my earthly father when he was sitting there after I had overdosed and died. And so I'm in the backyard telling God about all the things I had done. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like I've read the Bible my whole life. I read it a million times, but it's like I missed it. I sounded like the Pharisee in Luke 18 telling God about how happy he is with all the good things that he's done. And he's happy that he's not like this sinner over here. And so I'm telling God about all the things that I've done and how can my foot be broken? How could this be happening? My ministry is supposed to come from the Olympics. The glory. How can I glorify you? My heart was deceiving me. I was trying to glorify myself. <laughs> well, I started telling God that his gospel stunk. That's what I was in the backyard doing it. Your gospel, S-U-S-K-S, it sucks. Forgive my language, guys. We're all adults. I'm just going to give you guys the raw truth. I'm raw. And I told him that. And I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'd also been to Bible college by that point. I told him, I'm not telling anybody about your gospel. Because it's garbage. If I can't get it to work, no one can. And I've worked it, my man. I have worked it. And if I can't get it to work, no one can. It's not good news. So I'm not telling anybody about any of this. Yeah. And you know what he told me? <laughs> I still remember this day. He said... Part of me was thinking, I'm about to get struck down. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't talk to God like I was talking to God when you're under the law. Because you don't think you can come to God with an unconcealed heart. You don't think you can just plop your frustration on the table out with God. right? You've got this works mindset where you think you're being judged by your works. And the last thing you can do is step up to the Almighty and tell Him that He's wrong. And that He stinks. And as I told him that, you know what I heard from God? Clear as a day. It's one of the few times where I thought I heard the voice of God audibly. Now listen, I don't know whether I really did, but sometimes you can hear God so clearly on the inside that it reverberates yeah. through your whole being. And you know what God said to me? You're right, Greg. That gospel does stink. Because it's not the gospel. Amen. Oh. It's not the gospel. That's right, Greg. The gospel is not about the good work you can do and the good work you can walk in. The, the, the gospel is about the good work I've done and how you can walk in my good work to serve you with life and you can find yourself animated with my life where it's the grace of God laboring in you and not your own strength laboring in you. I had learned a whole lot by then. I had gone to Bible college. I'm a studious guy studying everything. He said, Greg, unless you take everything you think you know and throw it in the garbage can, you're never going to see what I'm trying to show you. I was like, everything? Bro, there's a whole lot of good studying I've been doing. And praying and confessing. I got stuff all over my house, you know, on the mirror so I can all the time be doing it. What you mean, man? <laughs> you don't want you don't want to hear that. I'm telling you. Now I'm glad he told me. I'm glad God yeah. loved me enough to tell me the truth. Yeah. Right? And if you've got friends in your life that love you enough to tell you the truth, rejoice in them. Right? Because we live in a world right now where love is not telling people the truth, they say. 
And they tell that, say that you're not in love if you say the truth. I thank God that he preferred my life over his own. And he wasn't worried about me and whether or not I thought he was against me when he told me the truth. I thank God he told me the truth that I was trying to find life by working my dust body. And that I wasn't looking to the body of Christ, which has been glorified with eternal life, seated at his right hand. I wasn't looking there and setting my affection there to find myself animated. And so, that's how I came into an understanding of grace. And that's how I came to the place where I gave up the ghosts all over again. And I laid down the life I could build for myself in the world. And I realized God had built me a life. And it wasn't a life made with man's hands or the strength in a man's hands. He made me a life built by the strength of His own hand. And the strength of His own hand is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He came and built me the kind of life that I want. The only kind of life that can actually satisfy me. He came and built me a life that can't be overcome by the death and the corruption in the world. He came and built me a life that overcomes the grave. He came and built me a life that even should the death in this world come and pile on top of it, that life will stand back up and surely get off. Amen. And so I began walking in that life. And I'm thinking, who needs running? I, got a, I don't need to run to have a ministry. I'm going to have a ministry anyway. Ten years go by, no ministry. Ten years go by and no ministry. And um, I'm working at a finance company for all these years, um, not having a ministry. And um, I have been so satisfied by the life that, that God had given me and the life that He built me in the Lord Jesus that I no longer had like a lust for ministry. If it happened, it happened. But I'd be content with God no matter where I was. And so the ship had sailed for ministry. There was no ministry for me anymore. I got my wife. We have our nice high-paying jobs at the finance company. We're living large. We got this nice big house. We can go on any vacation we want. We can go anywhere we want. We can do everything we want, right? And so I'm like, the ship has sailed. And then all of a sudden, and this is 2010, I hear the voice of God again. Only the second time I thought I heard it audibly. It's time to go back to New Orleans. And it's time to start a church in New Orleans. And I, my eye, my face crinkled. <laughs> what you talking about? I started telling them all the reasons why that can't happen. We just bought this house. We got these nice paying jobs. I said, if, if you want me to pick up everything and move to New Orleans and start a church, I need $50,000 to put on a down payment on another house. And I thought, that's it. That's it. Case closed, bro. Thank you for your time. But me and my wife, we decline. <laughs> I know a lot of you can relate to this kind of a thing. Um, so a month later, one month later, my wife and I, her name's Becky. My wife is a precious woman. Um, I'm replaceable. Anyone can preach. I, I promise you. But no one can do what my wife does, which holds the whole church together and everything behind the scenes together while I'm gone and while I'm there. So God bless my wife. Um, I wish she was here so I could honor her in person. But man, I love Becky. Um, we both worked for the same finance company. And um, the owner, we're both managers there. The owner calls all the managers into his office. And... Uh, he says, we're shutting down the company. 
And it, my face does that at first. And then he says, and this, uh, this guy was a nice guy, but he had a, his weakness was money. And so he wasn't greedy in a greedy sense, but he was fearful with money. So he wasn't so giving of it, right? We've got to protect it, right? He says he's shutting down the company, and he, he's paying the manager six weeks of severance for every year they've been with the company. Okay, by that time, my scowl at the thought of him closing the company has turned into this grin. <laughs> because I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I had been there 15 years. My wife had been there 11 years. We walked with like three or four times the money I told God we needed for a down payment on a new house. I, I, I couldn't believe it. The, uh, so I'm fired up. That's God. You know what I'm saying? You know when it's God. When, when things happen. There's times where I think it's God. But you, like that's undeniable. You know what I'm saying? Like I can even see the owner of the company. You know like Balaam, when they paid Balaam to curse Israel? And he gets up there and he goes to curse Israel, but he can't. And every time he does, he blesses Israel. And he's like, what? What did I do? What did I say? The, the owner of my company was like, he was. am I telling these guys I'm giving them six weeks of severance for every year they've been here? What am I saying? It was like he was saying it and hearing himself say it. And he's like, what am I saying? So I'm fired up. It's God. This is God. I'm unstoppable. How many of you know when you think God's with you, you're unstoppable? Yes. Here's the thing, though. God's always with you. Yeah. <laughs> but when you know God is with you, you're like Superman. It's like you feel immortality immediately. You feel the boldness that come upon the early church in the book of Acts, where it says dunamis came upon them, power from on high. And they looked at death and was like, What? What can you do to me? I've overcome the grave. That's how you feel when you know God's with you. So I hear clearly from God. Listen, Greg. Pray this prayer over yourself. Every day, pray it. Every day, pray it. And get the people that are going to be connected with the church to be praying it. Your siblings, your parents, everybody down there that knows you're coming. And it's famous verses. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised by death, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And I'm like, yes! And I'm praying that every day, and I'm telling everybody to pray it every day. And things are going along just fine. The company, it took a few months for it to close down because we had to wrap up all of our loose ends and everything. So I had a, a job for a few more months. The church I was going to, Faith Ministries Church International, Dave and Bonnie Duell, they ordained my wife and I, and they were ready for us to go start this church. And I'm all fired up. And it was about a week before I was supposed to go to their church, say goodbye to everybody, and tell everybody a testimony of what we're going to do. And nothing can stop me. And I'm praying this prayer. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm feeling the juice. The juice that comes from the Holy Ghost. The dunamis, as they say in the Greek. And you guys know what I'm talking about. 
All of a sudden, I hear this voice. You can't pray that. You're not Jesus. That's Jesus. Who are you? It's kind of like when that demon said to those guys that were trying to cast out demons, Paul, I know Peter, I know Jesus, we know, but who are you? <laughs> and I, before I even had the chance to think about it, I'm like, yeah, who am I? I I'm not Jesus. What am I saying? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I've been sent to preach the, to the poor, to the broken heart, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind. Who am I? And so all that oomph and juice I had exited stage left. And I tell you what, I drove around for a whole week thinking, I ain't starting no church. <laughs> we got that, we got that 200 k we got that 160k. My wife and I, we're gonna move to the beach. We're gonna buy some jet skis and some boats. We'll rent out the jet skis. We'll parasail. I'll get a straw hat. I'll get a nice tan. Hallelujah! <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I was so, I, and I'm just. What am I gonna say to the Dave and Bonnie? They're so excited, and so I thought I'm not telling them. <laughs> the shame, right? I mean, listen, I'm just being honest with you guys. The shame that came upon me. I can't do it. And so I'll still go there and say we're going to do it. And afterwards, I'll get back to them and say, oh, something fell through. We couldn't do it. And so I go there that Sunday. And I'm up there telling all the people what we're going to do. I've been there. This is my church family. I love these guys. I love Dave and Bonnie Duell. For any of you that don't know, man, those are some of the most loving and humble people I've ever met in ministry. And I've been around quite a bit for how young that I look. And so I get up there and I tell everybody and I'm afterwards saying my goodbyes. Saying, you know, I love you, man. I love you. We'll see each other again. It's all, Dave would always say, it's only forever. Right? It's only forever. And so, yeah, if I don't see you in this world, I'll see you in the one to come. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to start that church. <laughs> Oh, and so we're saying goodbyes, and it went on for a long time because there's a lot of people there. I've been there a long time, and I'm noticing this guy sitting in the back of the church that I've never seen there before. This is my home church. I don't know who this guy is. And so I've said my final goodbyes, and I'm walking out. This guy stands up, and he says, I'm from Mexico. I'm part of the Navajo. And God told me to take my vacation in Denver, Colorado. And he told me to come to this church. And I've never been here. I've never even been to Colorado. But I came to this church last Sunday. And I sat through the whole church service, and I didn't hear anything from God. And I said, Lord, why am I here? This guy's talking to me. I was supposed to actually give the testimony the week before, but something came up with the sale of our house, and so I wasn't there. So I got postponed a week. He says, so God tells me, come back the next Sunday. So I come back the next Sunday, I sit through the whole service again, and listen, Faith Ministries, man, it's a long service, because we, we practice the gifts of the Spirit, we're praying for people to be healed, we're ministering to people after the message, we have praise and worship, all, everything going, and so we sat through the whole thing, he said, I'm sitting here thinking, what am I doing here? He said, and then you get up and talk. And he stood back two steps, and he pointed at me, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, 
For He hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. And He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Conk! And then He went on to prophesy for like 30 minutes telling me that it was the exact right time. That it was the exact right place. That God had ordained this church and that God had put every gift in me, that all of the gifts were in me and that all of the gifts were going to come out of me and out of this church and that this church was going to be a beacon of light and point to the glory that God manifested in the Lord Jesus and how He conquered death. And listen, once again, you're like, God's with me. Hallelujah. Have you ever got a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge and you like, I'm, right? It's like, where's death? Let me go run right into it. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm like Neo. I'm about to run into that, the Matrix Smith and jump in here and blow death up from the inside out. Right? And so I'm good. I got the strength to go and, and start the church. And so we go and we start the church. And man, I know God's with me. And we start the church. And we're doing the church for like a year. And boy, it was not looking good in the natural I thank God He has mercy on our souls. It wasn't looking good in the natural. And uh, listen, you go down to the southern parts of the world, or the United States, and you preach grace and only grace. And a lot of times people hadn't heard that, and it's upsetting to them. And so we had a lot of persecution. And a lot of people talking about us. Listen, I'm not speaking ill of them. They didn't know what to make of us. And they're working with the best they can. So we suffered a lot of hard times. And here I am again. Listen, God, where are you? I'm all alone again. I go right back to the place I was before. And so, listen, but this time I know I'm smart enough. I got the number of the prophet. Right? I'm going to go back to the well. Except the well isn't God. It's this guy. And so I call the guy up on the phone. And I'm like, listen, man, thank you so much for that word. It was so great to, to, to meet you and to see you. But, man, I need another word. Things aren't going good. <laughs> we always want a word. When things aren't going good, give me a word. You know what he said to me? He said, Greg, you're the prophet. I'm the one that's in need of the word you have. I didn't want to hear that. And in fact, at the time, I realized he did give me a word. But at the time, I didn't take it that way. At the time, I thought this guy didn't give me a word. And I was kind of angry and feeling alone. And then I heard God say to me, Greg, Greg, you keep searching for a word. You keep looking for a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge so that you can believe that I'm with you. So that you can believe that I'm behind you and I'm with you doing what you're doing. Have you ever considered the word I gave you? Have you ever considered the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge you gave me? I'm looking around. Where is it? I mean, I was in the habit of writing those things down a lot of times. Record them. I got cassettes from like 1995. And I'm like, you ain't got me no word, Lord. There's no word that you gave me. He said, Greg, have you ever considered the word I gave you in Jesus? Amen. 
nah, man. I ain't considering that word. He said, have you ever considered that I gave you a word of wisdom? I gave you a word of knowledge when I spoke Jesus, when I spoke the Christ. Yeah, Jesus is my word, Greg. Have you ever considered that was me giving you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge? We talk about giving words of wisdom and words of knowledge. The only reason why we could even do that is because God first did it. And He gave us a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge in the word that was made flesh in Jesus. Amen. And we're so badly wanting words all the time. And I'm not against giving a word. And I'm not saying there is no such thing as giving other words. But I promise you, the word that we need is the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge God gave us in Jesus. Amen. And that's the only word that will leave you never feeling like God isn't with you. It's the only word that will ever leave you feeling like, I have all things that pertain to life and God like this. It's the only word that will fill you with the kind of strength that as you watch the world around you crumbling, you feel strong and you don't feel weak. It's the only word that will ever do that. God, God wasn't just telling me I gave you, Greg, that word. Although He did, and it was deeply personal to me. But He was saying to all of us, He gave us the greatest word of wisdom and word of knowledge he could, we could ever get in the Lord Jesus. And I encourage you tonight to go away asking God to show you the word He's given you. To unwrap the word that was made flesh in Jesus. In your midst. And that you know that God has, Himself has given you a word. And all the strength that you think you can get from all the other words. All the other wisdom and knowledge you can get. All the strength you can think you can get from those things. You can get it super abundantly above all you can ever ask or think from the word God gave you in Jesus. Amen. So many times. We can look around and feel brokenhearted over everything we see. Like this brother over here that, that's traveling the world and preaching the gospel and now finds himself locked down, you know, because of the pandemic. And looking around and seeing all the corruption. We can look around sometimes and feel tormented by the corruption we feel. We can look around and feel brokenhearted by all the tribulation we see going on in our country and in the world and everywhere around us with all the death and corruption we could see. We can think we need a word. We need a word, a prophetic word, to see God is with us. To see where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? What's He doing in the midst of all of this? How can we be sure that He's with us? We can feel like that so often. But I promise you, Jesus is God reading your mail. I don't know, maybe it's just our vein of Christianity, but does everybody know what reading your mail is? Okay, all right. <laughs> Jesus is God reading your mail. It's God discerning your life for you so that you can behold your life in the face of Jesus and that you can get a revelation of God with you. And you can get a revelation of where God is at in the midst of all these things and you can get a revelation of what God is doing in the midst of all these things. Isaiah comes and says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for her sins. Listen, man, it was Babylon that Israel was in captivity to. They weren't in captivity to God. They were held captive to Babylon. It was Babylon that was warring against God. And when you look at those verses in the Hebrew, what God is saying 
is that he's seen the affliction of his people at the hands of Babylon. And what he's saying there is, I desire to bring comfort to, Babylon, to Israel, to Jerusalem. I want to comfort them because I see them hurting. Tell them that they shall receive from my hand a mercy that is twofold above their iniquity. Tell them they shall receive from my hand a grace that will superabound over their iniquity Amen. and it will war against that which is warring against them. Amen. Tell them there's a grace in my hand that's greater than their sin. And though their sin was making their, them red as crimson, I will make it as white as snow. Tell them that I will bring an end to that which is warring against them so that they can be comforted. We don't ever think about the things we think. So God going to punish somebody double for their sin? Does that sound just? Who was warring against Israel? Was it God or was it Babylon? Who was warring against Israel? Was it Goliath or was it God? And so God sees his people being tormented by the world around them. He sees them in captivity. And he wants to comfort them. Tell them. There's a life in me that is full of a grace that will superabound over the sin and death that is coming against them. Tell them and that will comfort them. That's also a prophecy about Jesus. It is talking to mankind. By the sin of one man, Adam. By one man, Adam, trying to build his own life by the strength of his own hand. Sin and death entered the earth. And this world was founded on sin and death. And that sin and death has been warring against mankind. And that sin and death has been warring against our souls. We feel it. I feel it. I know I got a life that overcomes the grave, but I've seen death and I still don't like it. Because I know it's the enemy. And I know it's against all that is God. And so God has given us a prophecy in Jesus in telling us that where sin had abounded over us, causing death to reign by one man, Adam, that the grace of his Christ, the one that he anointed, the one that came in the flesh as God with us, that there is a grace in his life that will superabound over the death that was reigning over us and remove it as far as the east is from the west. It's like with David and Goliath. Goliath was bullying God's people, wasn't he? Yes. It says he was defaming them, defying them. You know what that means he was doing? He was pointing at their weakness, pointing at their inability, uncovering their nakedness, if you look at the biblical language. Uncovering someone's nakedness is when your weakness is exposed. Or when someone comes and points at the death and the tribulation in the world and says, what about this? And you're like, oh. And so Goliath was bullying Israel. He's pointing at their weakness. He's accusing them. He's telling them they're not the children of God. If you really are the children of God, send out your champion. And let them fight me. And look how big the giant is. And it says that Israel was filled with fear and shame. They saw the giant that stood against them. And their mind became filled with the giant. Their mind wasn't filled with God. They saw the giant and the giant's so big you can even start to think the giant's bigger than God. And where's God? And so they're filled with fear and shame. They don't know what to do. And here comes David. <laughs> and David sees Goliath tormenting his people. And it grieves his heart. For anybody in here that's grieved over what's going on 
in the earth. Anybody in here that feels like their life is being overcome. Anybody in here that's looking at the suffering and thinking, where's God? Does God love me? Man, God is grieving over the suffering you're experiencing. And He wants to come and show you that He has come as your David and has nailed the death in this world that's warring against you to the cross. Amen. He's nailed it to the tree. I love what Bono says from U2. You guys know who U2 is? Yeah. And I don't listen to a lot of U2 music, but I listen to videos about God. And I didn't know any of this stuff about Bono. But I was watching this video with Bono, and Bono, as a young man, had death in the world come against him in a mighty, mighty way. His father died when he was very young. Then his grandfather raised him, and his grandfather died. And they're at his grandfather's funeral, and his mom drops dead. At the funeral. And he talks in this interview about how tormented he was by all the death. And he says, I was in Israel one year. And I went to Calvary. Golgotha. The place of the skull. And you know how he described it? I nearly fell on the ground. He said, I went to the place where death died. I went to the place where the oxygen that was in death had got sucked out. And he said, immediately my life was healed from all the death. Because I saw what God did to conquer death. And I began living in the world knowing that I'm dead to death. And I'm alive to the immortal, eternal life of God. You're dead to death. You're not one flesh with the death that's in this world. You're not one body with the COVID. You're not one body with the political problems and the political unrest and all the tribulation and all the corruption. Your life is not braided together with those things. God has braided you together with himself. You have become one flesh with God through the body of Jesus Christ. And the death that came into the body of Jesus Christ that death was consumed from the inside out by the life of God. And we're one flesh with an immortal man, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Amen. So David sees his people being tormented. He saw there was no one who could shut the giant up. He's just running his mouth, running his mouth. No one can do anything about it. No one can overcome the giant. And he sees that his people need someone to intercede for them. They need an intercessor. They need someone that can come and shut up the giant. They need someone who can come and overcome the giant so they can be comforted from their affliction. So David goes to his people, who is this unclean Philistine? Right. Speaking against the people of the living God. Amen. When he calls him unclean, he's not just talking about being dirty. He's saying the words coming out of his mouth, mm -hmm. accusing the Israelites mm -hmm. are unclean. They're not holy. They're speaking death to people who have been brought forth by the living God. And so, David's like, I'll shut this dude's mouth. Because David, he's a picture of the anointed one, Christ. I mean, he'd been wrestling lions and bears. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. <laughs> David's like, well, I've just been wrestling bears and stuff, you know. I mean, this giant, I don't know. God's with me. He'd been anointed. By the life of the living God. The God who has a life that's without beginning or end. The God who has a life that's indestructible. The God whose life is so much that it makes death non-existent. And so David, 
I'm going to go shut this dude's mouth up. And Saul, he ain't got a revelation of the grace of God or the strength of God. Saul's got a revelation of his own strength. And Saul's trying to give David his armor and stuff. <laughs> you guys remember? Yeah. All right, if you're going to go, here you go. In my church, we did a cool thing with the kids. We put a life-size picture of Goliath up on the wall, and we put David next to him. And it's pretty magnificent when you look at the difference in the size. So Saul tries to give David the, the, the strength that man's hands made, the weapons of a man's hand to, to kill Goliath. And David's like, I don't need that, bro. David goes and picks up five stones. And I'm sure all of you have heard or all of you know, and if you don't, we'll just say it for the context. The letter five in the Hebrew alphabet signifies the letter for grace. Hey! <laughs> and so David's like, I'm not trusting in the strength of a man's hand to conquer a man. I'm trusting in the strength of God's hand. Yeah. And so David takes a, a pebble and he slays the giant. He slays the giant. And after he slays the giant, he does something magnificent that has deep significance in the spirit of prophecy. He cuts the giant's head off. And then he takes the giant's head and he brings it to a hill outside of Jerusalem. And he buries it there. And it's a hill that becomes known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. The place where the Lord Jesus would later be crucified. The one in whom David was actually prophesying would come and conquer the real giant that was death. <laughs> Listen guys, don't misunderstand me. The account of David and Goliath is a real account. It really happened. But it's trying to tell us something about God and our lives with God. It's trying to prophesy to us. It's a prophetic word. That's actually a word of prophecy there. God's prophesying to His people, telling them what He's going to do to accomplish their warfare or to condemn that which has been condemning them so that they can be comforted. If you read in 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 19, it says that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. And so Peter come and said, we see the entire prophetic picture revealed in Jesus Christ. Where once we looked back and read the Scriptures through our own minds and came with our own private interpretations of what they meant, the Scriptures are no longer available for a private interpretation because we see clearly what the Scriptures are declaring in Jesus Christ. That's the Word. That's the prophecy that God has given. That's what God has declared to us all. So we can see the meaning of David and Goliath clearly revealed. In Jesus. We can see what God is trying to tell us clearly revealed in Jesus. Guys, all the tribulation and corruption we see in the world right now, it's the fruit of death. It's born from the perishable life that's in this world. A life that can die is the kind of life that's always laboring to uphold itself. It's the kind of life that's always putting forth its own strength to preserve itself. And this dust body doesn't have life in itself to produce. So the more a dust body tries to produce life, the more it produces the works of the flesh. And so all the corruption and tribulation we see is the fruit of the death that came into the world by one man, Adam. Mm -hmm. And that death is a giant to us. That's our giant. That's what Goliath is pointing to. Death is our Goliath. It's our giant. Death is all the time trying to point at us. 
point at our weakness, point at our inability, trying to accuse us, trying to tell us that we don't have what we need for life, trying to tell us that it's in the way of us having everything we need for peace and love and joy. How many of you are looking out in the world right now and seeing everything going bankrupt and thinking that you don't have what you need? That's Goliath. He's trying to defame you. He's trying, he's standing against you. If you really are the children of God, then what's this? Yeah. He's uncovering your nakedness. And he's tempting you to pick up the sword. To grab a hold of the strengthened man's hand. To try to come in war. Death is the weapon that the devil uses to beat us and bruise us. It's the weapon he uses to accuse us. It's the weapon he uses to make us think God isn't with us. And how do you know? Because every time you see some great calamity that's the fruit of death, what's the first thing we think? Where's God? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Every time some, where's God? Where's God in all this? I'm the chief of that kind of a sinner. And God's like, bro, haven't you seen the word I gave you in Jesus? And how I came and took the death that was warring against you? The death you think that can accuse you and uncover your nakedness? Haven't you seen how I come and nailed it to the tree? Haven't you seen the blood run out of death? Haven't you seen death breathe its last breath? All we see is a man that was crucified. And yes, the Lord Jesus is a man. And yes, he was crucified. But he was crucified with our death in his body. Yes. And the reason why he was crucified and the reason why he wanted to go to the cross is so he could take the giant of death that was standing against us and he could take that giant of death and he could nail it to a pole. And that death that's tormenting us, that's making us think God isn't with us, we could see God with us nailing the death that's filling us with fear to the pole. Yeah. Just like David did with Goliath. We can see Jesus is a God. Paul said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God came in the flesh. He came as our David. And he came to slay the giant of death, our Goliath, that was standing against us. And he didn't use a sword to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what he did? He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He put on our skin suit that was perishable. And then he took our sin and our death into his body. Knowing that he's got a life in himself that has so much grace in it that it would superabound over the death that come upon him. And he knew that he would accomplish our warfare. He knew that he would condemn the death that was condemning us. That he was going to come in war against the death that had been warring against his people. And he absorbed the fullness of that death into himself. The sting of the death came into the body of Jesus. Jesus is God. Yes. God says in Genesis chapter 3, He prophesies to the serpent, You will bruise the heel of the seed of woman. But the seed of woman will crush your head. Mm -hmm. God's prophesying of a child, a seed that would come forth from woman. And that this woman, this child would be bruised by the serpent's bite. And that this child that would be born would crush the serpent's head. Well, what does Isaiah say? In chapter 7 and 9, what does he say about Emmanuel? A child will be born unto you. A son shall be given. And what shall you call this child and this son? Emmanuel. And he shall be what? God with you. Prince of peace. Everlasting father. Mighty counselor. A wonderful counselor. Mighty God. And so God was prophesying to the serpent, though you got my man to bring sin and death into the earth, I will incarnate myself into human flesh and I will crush your head. 
And so here comes our David. His name is God, Emmanuel, God with us to accomplish our warfare. Though our sin was as red as crimson, causing death to reign over us, he came and he made it as white as snow. And he took our death into his own body on that tree so that death could be nailed to the tree because he knew he had a life in him that could overcome death and come out of the grave free from death, never to be able to die again. And then his people could be comforted by seeing the death of death. I'm sorry, I'm so excited. But when you realize death is dead, and you see the people of God, and you see their face, and you see the giant that's welling up in this earth again, just like Goliath, the death will flare up from time to time. And it will try to point at you and be like, look at me. I'm in the way of you having life. No, no, no. No, no, no. I've seen the grave conquered already. You can't tell me I'm, un I'm naked. I've been clothed upon by the skin of the lamb. Mm. <laughs> so God prophesies of what he's going to do to nail death to the tree. It's like that Wyatt Earp movie. You guys ever seen, you guys know who Wyatt Earp is? Yes. Well, there's a clip in the movie where he, some of the, these people are against him and they're trying to destroy the ranch and he catches one of the guys as a traitor. And he says, you tell the regulators we're coming and we're bringing hell with us. The Bible talks about the second death and it talks about death being cast into the lake of fire. God saw death warring against us and he brought hell to death. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, absorbed it into himself, and then he consumed it from the inside out. God is a consuming fire. What that means is he has a life in himself that consumes all darkness. It consumes all death. It consumes all sin. And he came with that fire burning inside of a perishable body. And the devil thought he's, he won. He came upon the body of God. Hey. <laughs> and God's like, I'm a consuming fire, don't you know? There's a burning in my bones for my people. And my bones are about to vibrate with the light of life. The life that came into the earth in Genesis that created all things. It holds all things together. I'm about to hold all my people together once again. And I'm yes, going to consume death. Yes, yes. Amen. And he took death into himself. He brought it into the grave. And he came out and left death in the grave. Death is dead. Mm -hmm. You're dead to death. Amen. Death doesn't have life. Death has not been born again. Everything that ails your life, everything, has its roots in death. Mm -hmm. Everything. Mm -hmm. Whether it be fear, whether it be anxiety, whether it be insecurity, whether it be emotional issues in your heart, whether it be physical ailments. John said, Beloved, I pray that your health prosper even as your soul yes. prosper. Yes. I lived in a ministry where we got lots of miracles all the time. But I saw a strange thing where like a year later, the sickness and everything was back. And I realized their, their heart wasn't being healed. Yes. And so everything that ails our lives has its root in the fear of death. Everything that torments you or bothers you is wrapped up in something you see as being in the way of the good life you know you're entitled to because of what God's done in Jesus. And everything that bothers you is when you see there's something going on, either in your personal life or in the world around you, that you think is in the way of you experiencing the God life. Everything that bothers you is wrapped up in you seeing something that you think is keeping you 
from godliness and godlikeness. Everything, man. The only thing that can heal you from that. And I'm going to finish with this. Thank you so much for your time. I know I preach a long time. My, my people are used to it because I preach for like two hours. And so they have endurance. But thank you guys so much for letting me preach. The only thing that can heal you from what ails you is for death to be abolished in your midst. For you to see death nailed to the pole. That's the only thing that can heal you. That's the only thing that can heal your life is for your heart to be circumcised from the death you see in this world, from the death you see all around you. That's the only thing that can heal your heart, purify your heart from fear, and it's the only thing that can heal your flesh. It's the only thing that can heal your flesh. In the book of Numbers, the Israelites were bitten by a serpent, weren't they? Yeah. Well, isn't the serpent that old dragon, the devil? So the poison of asps was under the Israelites' mouth when they were walking out of Egypt. And they were crying out to have life by the strength of their own hands. And so that's the serpent's wisdom. That's the serpent's way to have life. I will be exalted by the multitude of the merchandise I can gather to myself. And so the serpent was biting them with his death. And God tells Moses, Moses, go and fashion a bronze serpent. Bronze in the Bible speaks of condemnation, to condemn something. Go and fashion a bronze serpent and go and hang it on the pole. And all the people that can see how I've condemned the bite of the serpent that is killing them, all them that can see the bite of the serpent dead on the pole will be healed from the sting of death. <laughs> now listen, one greater than Moses has come. Moses said, there's one that's going to come after me, prophesying of the Lord Jesus. Hear ye him, he says. And so one greater than Moses has come. His name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came and condemned the death that was condemning us. Paul comes and says in Romans 6 that God did through Christ what the law could never do. The law could never cleanse our bodies from death. The law could never heal us from death. And the law could never clothe upon our bodies with immortality. But God come and did in Christ what the law couldn't do. He saw the death that was condemning us, the bite of the serpent, and he came and condemned the death of the serpent by nailing it to the cross in the body of Jesus Christ. All the tribulation and corruption you see around you, God is with us now, and he's trying to bring forth a revelation in your heart that the death and the tribulation, the corruption you see right now that's bothering you, he's trying to show you how he's nailed it to the pole. He's trying to show you how it's dead, how it's run out. He wants you to see that he's brought a plague to the death. The vengeance of our God is that he come and took vengeance on death. Go read Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. Oh, death, I will be your plague. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. And I will not repent. The kinsman redeemer is the avenger of blood. It's your closest relative to come and avenge your blood, to avenge your death. God's our closest relative. God is our kinsman redeemer. And he come and avenged our death. And he avenged our death by nailing the death that was nailing us to the cross. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God has cursed death in the flesh of Jesus. He brought a plague to it. You're dead to death. 
Yeah, you're dead to death. That's right. You're alive to God. When, when Paul talked about being dead to sin, we, we struggled to connect the word sin and death. But sin and death are used synonymously. Mm -hmm. Paul even says in the same context, the wages of sin is death. So what Paul's saying there is, consider yourselves to be dead to death. Consider yourselves to be alive to the eternal, indestructible, incorruptible life of God that's without beginning or end. That even should it see death, it consumes death because it's a consuming light. Oh, Jesus. You're dead to death. That's the revelation Paul had. It's the sting of death that causes sin, it says. It says we were all our days in bondage through the fear of death. Mm -hmm. And so God did something in Christ to kill death. And the gospel is coming to tell us, consider yourselves dead to the death in the world. Yes. Consider death dead. And consider yourself alive to an indestructible life. It's without beginning or end. Amen. Hallelujah. If there's anybody in here that does not know the Lord, the Lord knows you. And He likes you. He's got no problem with you as a person. He's got a problem with the fact that you're dying. And he's got a problem with the fact that you're living by the strength of your own hand. And the reason why he's got a problem with that is because he wants you to live and not die. He never created you to die. And he sees that if you try to find life by your own works, you're going to perish. Amen. You don't have to come up here and say some magic prayer. You don't have to make a confession in front of anybody. But just know right now, God grieves with you. In the deepest part of your being, in the suffering you've experienced, in the hurt that you felt, all the times that you thought He wasn't there, He was there weeping with you. He's heard your cries, and He sees the source of all your pain is death. And He actually has come and killed death. Man, when you leave here tonight, when, you, when you're here right now, just put your hand in the air. And see, I see you come for me, Lord. I see you come to claim me as your own. I see you've never been ashamed to call me your own. And I see that you come and stood next to me and done for me what I can never do for myself. You've cleansed me from the death in the world. And you've come to clothe upon me with the skin of your lamb, with the lamb of your very life. And you can commit your life into the hands of God, just like the Lord Jesus did on the cross. That's the faith we believe in. Amen. Then into your hands, Father, I commit my desire for life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for bearing with my excitement. But I can't help but be excited about the death of death. Um, thank you so much, Joanna, for, for going to all the trouble to put this. This is no small thing. When I walk in here and I see what you've done to bring everyone together so we can talk Jesus. God bless you. You're a blessing Thank in the body of Christ. Yes. You're a blessing to me. You're a blessing to all these people. Yes. Gwen and Brad, thank you guys so much. God bless you guys for bringing me here and housing me and caring for my life and speaking life into me. I love you guys. Thank you guys so much. God bless all you guys. Thank you. Yeah.